0: The scripture reading tonight will be Romans 12:1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is, a, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will.
1: Hey, my name is Riley, and I was a senior on this Poncha trip, so I'll be a freshman at OC this next semester. Um, uh, First of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much uh, for your contribution on Commission Sunday, because without it, this trip would have been impossible, and I'm so thankful that we got to go on this trip this year. Um, So I'll just start off by saying uh, we left Friday morning at 6.30 a.m., which was pretty early um, for a bunch of high schoolers. Um, We got there, we got to Poncha around seven or eight uh, that evening and got settled in, ate dinner and had a fun night on the town. The next morning uh, we got up and our whole goal for that Saturday was door knocking. This is our door knocking picture. Um, we're all wearing the same shirt, so you know who we are, um, and hopefully the same person didn't knock on the same door twice, because that's happened a few times. Um, but our goal for, the, for Saturday was to knock on every single door uh, in Poncha and Salida. And I would say we did a pretty good job of that. We, each, uh, we split the vans onto different routes. Uh, the routes covered uh, most of the town and so I would say that most every door in Ponch and Salada was knocked. Um, we had flyers to hand out uh, and if they weren't there we left a flyer and what was really cool this year um, we actually had a way for them to sign their kids up for VBS uh, at the door and so um, the next two pictures are kind of our VBS pictures um, Oh shoot! I skipped something. My bad. Uh, then that Sunday, the next wait, the next day on Sunday, we have worship with the congregation, and um, we it's pretty cool because I got to lead singing. Some of the other guys got to serve communion, read scriptures, and uh, kind of lead worship that day. It was it was a pretty cool experience. Um, their church building is not quite as big as this one, uh, and so it was really cool to pack a bunch of people in there and. Kind of blow the roof off the place with the praise. It was really awesome Um, Now these are our VBS pictures Uh, So VBS is the main reason we go to Poncha Um, It's just a great time. There's a bunch of energy in the room. There's crazy songs being led Um, I Cannot emphasize how much time was put into uh, the rooms and the decorations for this year's VBS. Um, that is just one way that we get to let the kids know that we have been thinking about this trip for way longer than that week um, that we're there. We prepared. We start preparing months ahead of time uh, with decorations and stuff like that. Um, however important the decorations are, uh, Jeremy and John would not let us forget that the gospel is the most important thing that we were teaching there. And that—that um, was the main reason we were there. So they said, "Spend time on your decorations, but no decoration is important as the lesson you're going to give." I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, one of my favorite parts about VBS—VBS—is just building the connections with the kids. Um, there were so many wonderful kids there. Uh, uh, one in particular, his name was Gerard. If you look at our youth section, most of them are smiling right now because we all love Gerard. Uh, He's about this tall. Put it over here for this side. And he was so cute. He would uh, get in trouble playing with balloons he wasn't supposed to play with. Uh, He'd shoot you with finger guns. Just a cute kid. Um, And before we started that week, uh, one of the ministers there told us that. they, their family wasn't really connected with the church. They live really close to the church building, but they were not connected at all. And so he said, show some love to that, to Gerard. So we did, and um, I would say that when his mom came uh, to the open house on Thursday, she was very pleased to see Gerard getting so much love. It was very, it was very nice. Um, so our VBS takes up most of our morning, um, and then our next thing is our service projects. you can put the next picture up. Um, this is one of our service projects. Uh, on Monday and Wednesday, um, after VBS, we would visit um, community centers, parks uh, anywhere that needed it. Um, and we just do some work there. Some members needed some um, So we did some bush trimming bushes, We built planter boxes. Uh, We cleared trash, and we, um, I think one group actually built uh, like a really long fence and I wasn't there for that one, but they were pretty proud of that one, and so um, that was pretty cool. We also sang at a retirement home, and I will say that uh, that would not have been possible without Woody Elmore. He put together uh, all these service projects and um, called ahead months before we left. Uh, It's just a great, great way to show the community that we cared about them. So that's what we did on Monday and Wednesday after VBS. I'd be lying if I said that all we did was VBS and work projects because we had a lot of fun too. On Tuesday, Thursday, um, we had some options for fun things. Uh, You can put the rafting picture up next. Um, On Tuesday, we went rafting, whitewater rafting, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of good memories. Um, almost everyone that went this year is an optional thing, so not everyone goes every year, but this year, almost every single person went. It was a great time. Uh, me and Audrey Gibbs got launched out of the boat in the toilet bowl, so I guess that tells you what we were. <laughs> you have to think about that one. Um, but it was a great uh, the rafting was so much fun. We also went swimming towards the beginning of the trip. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Two of my favorite things from the swimming trip were uh, Connor. I think did a backflip into a belly flop, and so that was that was fun. And then also John <laughs> trying to do a front flip was about the funniest thing I've ever seen. He looked like a flightless bird trying to take off. <laughs> he knows it's true too. Uh, You can put the last picture up if you want. My last picture. Um, Overall, this trip was just awesome. And I'm so proud that our youth group can put together a trip like this and change so many hearts and lives. Um, Just with the preparation of a month or a month and a half, um, we can put on this VBS for these kids. And some of them, this this is the only Bible they will ever read is our VBS. And so this is the only experience of church that they may ever have. And so I'm so proud to put my name on this trip. Um, so uh, another cool thing to say how, much this, how important this trip is, is that we have kids who have come to VBS for about two or three years, and they always call in months before we're even taking registrations. We've gotten calls, um, I think in May, as early as May, and we put on the, the VBS in July. And so it just speaks to show you um, how important this trip is to so many people there. Um, so to close, I'd like to say thank you again for your contribution on Commission Sunday because, uh, like I said, without it, this trip would have been impossible. Um, I'm so happy for this opportunity uh, for, to go on this trip every year. So, uh, and I'll leave you with that. Hello. Uh,
0: I'm Hunter. I'll be a, I'll be a freshman in college. Yeah, I'm done with high school. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm gonna be talking about poncha, kind of like what he did. So every year here at Edmond, we have what's called a senior night, and it's on a Sunday night, kind of like this is. And on this senior night, we each se- each senior puts out a table of their high school accomplishments and receives a Bible from the church. And on this night, each senior gets the opportunity to share what their favorite memories are from the youth group. And every year, I can't help but notice that there is a reoccurring answer. And the answer is the Bonja Springs mission trip. This trip is so special to so many of us. Before we're even able to step into Colorado, as high schoolers, we spend several weeks working on decorations for our rooms, crafts to do with our kids, and lessons to teach them. While we're there, we spend the entire week blessing others, making memories, and making connections with those who we may not talk to in Oklahoma. It's kind of difficult to talk about this trip and how it's affected me without talking about my personal experience over the years. So I'm gonna talk real quick about my personal experience. While in middle school, I heard so much about Poncha and how great a trip it was. When I finally got to high school, it was no disappointment. My first trip, freshman year, was the best mission trip I'd ever gone on. And second, second year, sophomore, was better than the first. Junior year, even better. Senior, senior year, my last year, was the best trip I'd ever gone on. The Pontius Springs mission trip is almost entirely student-led, which means that each student is given responsibilities and opportunities to be leaders in different ways. I can tell you that each and every person that has gone on this trip has either made a connection with someone else in our group, or made friendships with the kids from that area, or even both. No one goes on this trip to lay low, be unnoticed, or to go or just make it through the week. No, we go there with a purpose, and that purpose is to show God's love to everyone who we come into contact with. Many of these kids in Salida and Poncha don't attend church weekly, like we do, or have a biblical background, like we do. So while we're there, we have the responsibility to show Jesus to these kids, and to, and to influence them in the ways that we can for a short amount of time. That week, we had a chance to change these kids' lives, and, to turn, and in turn, God uses that opportunity to change our lives. I can definitely say that we did a great job teaching and blessing these kids. While we were there, our Vacation Bible School theme was Joy of the Lord, and we certainly lived that out. Our VBS classes were awesome and a great part of our week. The past few years, I personally have been a part of the teens class. And while we're there, we have crafts, we play games, and our leaders uh, lead Bible classes. We talk to the kids and get to know them. And over the years, I've made personal uh, friendships with these kids. And I personally know that their lives aren't as great as ours. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes they go through things that is just difficult. And sharing God's love can often be as simple as just staying positive when life is rough. Looking to the bright side of life. Our lives are so different, but we have a common faith. And this is the, and we have the same goal, and that is to look forward in We have the same faith and goal to look forward in life. This trip gives us the opportunity to make connections that last so much longer than a week. Vacation Bible School is a great way to do this. And kind of like what Riley said, when we're not doing Vacation Bible School, we did rafting, we did all sorts of things like that. We hung out at Sonic, Walmart, the cabins, church building, downtown and my personal favorite patio pancake. Uh, at least for the high schoolers, it's an amazing part of our summer, and it's the highlight. And even some of the kids in Poncha look forward to this throughout the year, kind of like what Riley said. This life-changing trip certainly wouldn't happen without the support of this church family. I personally, and on behalf of like the whole youth group and high schoolers, want to say thank you for contributing, contributing, that's the right word, contributing to this trip and uh, Commission Sunday and every other day. Uh, without this trip, those kids wouldn't know God's love. And, and since we do go there, now they do. Poncha has and always will have a special place in my heart. And Poncho always Always has been and will continue to be blessed through our group. And because of this group, they will truly know the joy of the Lord. Thanks.
2: Hey, church. I want to say thank you to uh, Riley and Hunter and the whole uh, youth group, especially when it comes to Poncha, whether it comes to mission trips, whether it comes to the school year, the summer, they are always on a mission. And for me, it's awesome seeing that transformation happen in their lives, because that's what we'll be talking about tonight in Romans 12, one and two, that seeing this kind of transformation is evidence of God uh, on earth. And in light of the Poncha report, Uh, We have with us Parker Bullard, uh, the pulpit minister of Pontius Springs Church of Christ, along with his wife, Katie, uh, and the rest of their family behind the youth group back here. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, we are so thankful to have you with us, but also when we go on the uh, VBS trip up there and uh, the mission trip that we are so thankful for you and the rest of the church opening up the doors to your community, but also to your families. Uh, We are so grateful and blessed by those connections that we make up there. And so, uh, with that, I get to share you my life verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. What I've loved about this series is that it allows people that get up here um, every Sunday and share a little bit of themselves and open themselves up and be vulnerable about how God's Word and about how transformation and uh, the Holy Spirit just impacts all of our lives, and I appreciate that. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little bit of my testimony, a little bit of my story, and a little bit of how God's Word uh, and works in my life have impacted me. And to start off with that, I'd like to talk a little bit about my grandfather, uh, or as I like to call him, Papa. Popple has a really hard time with passing up a really good sale. In fact, he loves going to auction barns, auction sales, uh, garage sales, uh, especially estate sales. Like Those are his jam. He loves those. He can't pass up on a good sale. In fact, if there's a a sale happening uh, 50 miles uh, in a radius around his house, he is there. All throughout my life growing up, I was forced against my own volition. Uh, to go and sit through hours of auctioneering and scoping out uh, some of the best places to pick up some cheap products. Pawpaw uh, is a caring and loving man, but when he finds a good deal, he can't help but pull the trigger. It doesn't matter if he's bought something in the past. If it's cheap, like he's going to buy it. Uh, He's a penny pincher. And just to give you an example of how many things he buys, he, um, out of the past five Christmases, um, along with Marcy being my wonderful uh, bride. Uh, He's given me three of the same exact barbecue grills. And to make matters even worse, like he knows that I live on the second story of an apartment building, so I can't even use them. Anyway, this is pretty similar to what his garage looks like. Whenever he buys anything, he just keeps stuffing it in his garage. Except for this, uh, there's a car, which uh, if you replace it with a fishing boat, then that would be pretty similar to his. But even in his case, like I don't even think the fishing boat has been taken out. Like I didn't even know he fished, but he just crams all of this stuff inside of here. And as I started to grow up and as I continued on in my discipleship uh, and in my relationship with God, I started to realize that I have a remarkably similar problem. I keep on to things that I don't necessarily want or need. I pick up things, whether they are grills, devices like phones, tablets, or video games, and certain hobbies trying to fill my life or garage with things that I don't need. But I have a severe case of FOMO, fear of missing out, for all of you that don't know what that term is. Uh, And I keep on to these things. And I think... A lot of us have a problem in our discipleship and walk with Christ when our lives look a lot like this, a lot of cramming things into the garage or in our lives uh, and thinking that we can just throw God on top of a mix or uh, like throw God into this mess that we call our lives. And so when Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and two, he's calling us to transform our lives, to sacrifice at everything uh, that we've held on to and become new, to clean out the garage, to clean out our mess, and become new lives. You see, transformation requires sacrifice, but it also grants renewal. God wants to clean up the mess, not just be added to it. Um, It's not necessarily discipleship if we just act and play along that we can just uh, keep storing away things whether they 're valuables whether they're experiences whether they 're hobbies and say look i 've transformed my life if I just make the commitment if I just punch the card and so tonight i 'll be talking about my life verse Romans 12 one and two and in this passage Paul encourages the church to be renewed and to have their eye, eyes set on God he implicitly poses this question are you being conformed are you reacting to the world around you or are you being transformed? Are you being proactive? Are you being a light? Are you allowing God to uh, take away all of the clutter in your life and be new creations, to be transformed into his image? And so when it comes to your walk with God, are you sacrificing your, your life to him or just throwing God into the mess? And so let me backtrack a little bit. For me, choosing Romans 12, 1 and 2, was a pretty easy decision for me. And to explain why, I think I need to go a little bit further back. Jeremy shared a pretty gnarly picture of his middle school self, so I thought I would too. And so this is known around the office, and sadly with all my college friends, as the Garth Brooks picture. And you can see why. This came from a family photo shoot while I was in middle school, and apparently I was the only one good looking enough to have their picture kept because no other picture from the Photoshop uh, got kept. Mine's the only evidence of it ever happening, so uh, you can wave goodbye to that. You can advance the slide. But sadly, my story starts on kind of a downer. My family didn't grow up going to church. Uh, Sure, they believed in God, uh, and they had an idea of who Jesus was, but they weren't practicing Christians. And on top of that, my parents got divorced when I was fairly young, um, and they would each have two divorces of their own, and now, by the grace of God, uh, they're in loving and compassion-filled marriages, but that's not necessarily what I experienced experienced growing up. My life was turbulent. I had a lack of a display of love and affection and of what a family could truly be. They would go back and forth fighting all the time. Sometimes the fights would get so bad, I wouldn't know where I would live for the rest of the year, uh, if I would be at the same school, or if I'd see the other parent again. And to deal with that, like a lot of children do, I became an emotional recluse. Uh, I stayed a lot of times in my bedroom or just wishing and hoping and praying for the fall to come back around or the spring to come back around because school was my escape. School was my oasis. And so if we're talking about the language of Romans, growing up, my life was a mess and I was conformed to the fear uh, and hate and my life and idea of love and family were shaped by brokenness. And I told you it starts on a downer because after that, While I was in high school, I got invited to come to the Bertram Church of Christ. And I remember the first few Sundays that I attended this church. You see, there was this deacon called, uh, his name was Brian Castleberry. uh, And he had a lot of great truisms, as many, like, older men slash dads do, right? And he had this one that he would repeat time and time again. And it was, the mind is the only weapon without a holster. And so as I was typing out my notes for this lesson, I thought, John, it would be a really good idea if you went back and do your, did your due diligence, sorry, I have a hard time with alliteration, and kind of tracked back where this great idea of philosophy came from. And so I cons- consulted the gookster, like any normal person would, and the only thing that came up was Paul Blart Malcott. <laughs> and so probably this piece of wisdom that has shaped me in my adolescence probably came from this Kevin James film, which is fantastic. (laughs) But along with that, he would always recite Romans 12, 1 and 2, saying this, "'I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind.' That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. You see, throughout Romans, Paul does some crazy things. He presents a breathtaking and demanding theology. From the sinfulness and debilitating state of the messiness of human nature to the nonsensical, right? The nonsensical life, death, and resurrection of God's one and only Son. And then starting in chapter 12, he starts to to change it up a little bit, a change of pace. It becomes less theologizing and more of a practical, more of an ethical nature. And so if we're looking at Romans as a whole, Romans 12 and going on almost looks like the Sermon on the Mount would in the book of Matthew. In chapters 1 through 11, Paul discusses sin and forgiveness, and now he writes about how this affects the life of a Christian. A life dedicated to Christ transforms everything, not just one's membership. And so that's kind of the focus and the light that Paul has going from Romans 12 uh, down the rest of it. So let's break it up a little bit. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so again, Paul is tying a bow of his understanding of the gospel and how it affects a Christian's life, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but day in and day out. The gospel is more than a transformation of understanding, but of living. You see, doctrine is never taught in the Bible simply that it may be known. It is taught in order that it may be translated into practice. It's just like it's written in John uh, chapter 13. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so Paul takes what we know about sacrifice and what we know about the temple and turns it on its head. And this text becomes richer the digger you deep into it. Could you imagine being a first century Jew, living in a time where the way that you sought forgiveness the way that sins got wiped off your plate was taking the best of your flock or the best of your crop or at least taking all of the money that you had going to the temple and buying the best ram or the best dove that you could have just so God could look at you again or God could love you again and then that be taken all the way by the power of the cross and then understanding it as your life is the sacrifice Your life is holy and pleasing to God by the way you model him out in the world. And so, rather, your life is this sacrifice to God, one that is good enough for the altar of God's temple. That's insane. Like, I'm not even a Jew, and I'm like, that's crazy compared to what I see in the Old Testament. Instead of a sacrifice that takes life, you yourself are a sacrifice of a life fully lived. And it's crazy that it's this kind of sacrifice and obedience which is good enough for God. Because I know time and time again when I sin and when I miss, like, make a mistake, I think, whoa, God won't be able to look at me. Or I can't go to God in prayer. He's ashamed of me. But no, it's this kind of obedience and life and sacrifice that pleases God. God is pleased by someone who devotes their lives to pursue Him and His will. And this changed everything for me. I remember myself as a high school student, which— is becoming, like, a longer and longer backtrack to get to, but thinking of God as this, like, malicious king, at least this is what my parents and, like, family kind of portrayed to me, that if you acted good enough, if you didn't sin too much, then you could make it into this place with angels, right, or at least, like, get away from the H-E double hockey sticks place. Nobody wanted that, right, but this turned it all around, A life devoted to God is worthy enough and pleases God, unlike any other sacrifice, and it's enough to be loved by God. And it's for someone that hadn't understood that love, or at least comprehended it, like that really settled in me. So going on to verse 2, "'Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed—' we'll get to that in a second—'by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.' And so, in this verse, Paul mentions that this should not be merely a decision or a resolution for one's life, but should transform everything. Not just the outside, not just your actions, but also your heart, your mind, in totality, everything that you are. It's not a New Year's resolution, it's not a weight loss program, it's a way of life. And Paul and Jesus and all the great people that know what Christian life is all about understand that being conformed to this world is not something that's fulfilling. It's not something that's uh, purposeful. It's not something that brings joy. It's only committing yourself to Christ. It's only making that sacrifice and committing yourself to a way that God intends you to live brings you all of that. Not just the stuff that you throw in your garage or you find at an antique shop. Being transformed is a restoration back into the image of God. And it's this kind of transformation that's best modeled instead of taught. We're so fortunate and blessed to have a Savior, to have a God that took on human form to show us what this looks like, because we wouldn't really get it if it were on the, uh, you know, the fine print of a page. At least the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't. And so crazy enough, this word for transformation in Greek is metamorpho. Surprising, I'm getting my master's degree. I reference Greek, Okay. (laughs) And, you know, this, this may be far-fetched. You may not latch onto this, but the definition for metamorpho is changed or transformed. Whoa, like no one saw that coming, right? But it's crazy where else this is seen in the New Testament. It only pops up twice, once being in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay. A few of you may not be impressed, but the author here is talking about seeing God face-to-face, right? Where on Mount Sinai, when it was Moses and God, it's not how it went down, right? God is unveiled. But then also, it shows up the second time here in the Gospels, Matthew 17 and Mark 9. And think, this is the same transformation that God has for all of you, myself included, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was metamorpho, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as light. The same transformation that God's intended for all of us is this transfiguredness. It's being the image of God. This transformation is also understood as the transfiguration, that the transformation that occurs in the life of a Christian is evidence of God on earth. And that's what I experience at the church. That's what I experience hanging out with these people each and every day. This is the kind of testimony and the stories that keep us going, not only up here, but also in here. And so after I went to the Bertram Church of Christ for a little bit, after I attended some of the Bible classes, I totally fell in love. Um, I had an interest in God like I never had before. I had a passion to to read the Bible, to pray when things got dark and dreary back at home. And this may sound like blasphemy, but I promise it's not, right? Like that's what you wanna hear before someone says something. Um, It wasn't the story of Jesus and the cross that kept me going. Or got me interested in church or Bible class. It wasn't the crazy narratives of Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, or even Moses and the Israelites. It was the family at church, right? It was the love embodied by Christ followers that kept me coming back for more that kept me hungry and thirsty for the gospel because that's where it was embodied. That's where it was lived out. And that's what Romans 12 is all about. And I don't think it's irony that right after these couple of verses that Paul pins down, that after that, he talks about how the church is the testimony and talks about the function of the church. And so keep going. Romans 12, where are we? Three through eight. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith If service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul understood that transformation begins in the self, but then is shown, it is made evident in the body like the church or the Edmund Church of Christ or the Bertram Church of Christ. Here's the blank, fill it in. And we all magnify God's glory together, each as a member. And we are like crazy blessed with the amount of talents uh, and abilities we have here at church. And just because your talent or gift isn't displayed Sunday morning or Wednesday night up here, or maybe it's not displayed like in Bible class, you still have the ability to show like the love and the power of God through all of those. Just for example, I think of uh, some of our students, Ashlyn Glavin, Kate Burton, Braylee Buxton, they have calligraphy skills, I can hardly say that, Uh, but also they're crazy awesome at art. They make encouragement notes, like with all this fancy lettering, uh, which, you know, I can barely write my name legibly, Uh, but they also draw these awesome pictures that depict God's glory and majesty for things like LTC. Um, I think of our band nerds. like. Hold up. You may think that's a, that's a diss, but that's actually a badge of honor for them, just giving you a heads up. Uh, like Daniel Epps or Joshua Preby or Zachary Cutshaw, uh, Samantha Kennedy, the list goes on because they take their energy and their love for Ban and bring people back to church saying, hey, we have this crazy family here at Edmond. And they use that energy to show God's glory and show uh, the power of the gospel through all of that. And I know I left some of you out, but I am proud of all of you guys. And then we have some awesome families here at church, like the Katys or the Dean's. Yes, all of the Dean's families. Uh, (laughs) Because without people like them, they go on youth trips, youth retreats, or mission trips like Poncha. They love a lot of our visitors or a lot of our new EYG members that come from fractured homes. Or places that they may not see love and family like a lot of us do. And they love them like they're their own. Without families like those, I would have no place in the church. So I am super blessed to have them as well. But then also our singles, uh, like from the Seekers or the Pathfinders or our couples there that take a lot of our students in and pray with them and mentor them. We just have an awesome blessed congregation that loves each other and takes care of one another. So don't be deaf to what God is saying to you and through you. These talents go beyond just the walls of what happens here in corporate worship or at church. This is the point I want to get across. Your greatest ministry is how you represent God daily in your life and relationships, the way that you show God's transformation each and every day, because that's what captured my spirit. Uh, that's what made me keep coming back for more. So for many of us we have a different taste of what transformation is or what it can be. A lot of us think of it as a one stop shop to change everything we don't like about ourselves. Almost like a New Year's resolution. But let's be honest like how many of you are either like still remember your resolution or keeping up with it? No, discipleship. Transformation is way more than that. It's much more than that. So here are a couple things that transformation isn't. Transformation isn't a one-time deal. It's not just a resolution, and it's definitely not a weight loss program, because I fail at those all the time. Uh, It's not an everyday desire to pursue, or it is an everyday desire to pursue God and become more like Christ. Again, it's a lifestyle, not just a uh, membership card. Transformation isn't an instant fix It's okay not to see night and day change. We're talking about clearing out a dirty garage We're talking about getting rid of stuff in your life that maybe is not bringing you closer to god We're saying goodbye to some of the ways you used to live your life. That's gonna take time and that's okay I think a lot of us when we Commit our lives to christ. We want that progress picture, right? Like yes, i'm slimming down. I can see it but it's It's a slow burn. It takes a while and that's okay. Transformation, again, is a restoration of God's image and that takes time. Transformation also is not a highlight reel. Renewal, wholeness, and completeness are not unattainable pursuits. In the early church, spiritual completeness and wholeness wasn't about having a blameless track record. It wasn't about stepping away from stumping your toe and saying a curse word, right? Paul had his faults. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He made mistakes. He was bruised and broken, but still committed himself to being whole and united with God. Being a disciple is about recognizing your own weakness, but believing in God's own perfection and that you need a Savior, that you need a God like that, that you can rely on Him. And when you do have success, it's not for your glory. You're not doing this for the gram, you're not putting it on Twitter, you're not snapping it, right? Because it's not about you, it's about him. You're transforming everything, not only your desires, but also your life. Transformation requires everything from us. First, it requires a sacrifice. It requires to look at everything in our garage and our lives and say, "You know what? Maybe that's not bringing me closer to God." And being OK with the fact that discipleship costs us something. To truly commit ourselves to transformation, we must acknowledge the loss and actually clean up the mess. It's more than a commitment or a resolution. Again, transformation is not some kind of New Year's resolution. It's this kind of life that is perfect and pleasing to God. And God, if you haven't been told this before, God is big enough to handle your mess. We talk a lot about this with our students, that a lot of times we feel a sense of shame if we do something wrong, and we feel like, man, I've really let God down so I can't come to him in prayer or I can't ask for forgiveness, but in reality, like, he's the all-knowing God, so stop it, right? Um, Transformation requires renewal. Seeking transformation may cause some of us to fear, but it inspires all of us to hope. The renewal may be scary because you have to let go of a lot of things that you've been idolizing or that you've drawn... uh, Compulsed to, but also the fact that that can be wiped away, and you can be made whole and complete, and that brings hope. This transformation is the renewal and evidence of God. Your life is transfigured instead of conformed by loss of what you do not have, but rather having joy for the God that loves you. And then lastly, it requires assurance. This assurance that you can be confident that God loves you and God thinks that you're enough. That the transformation that you have in your own heart and the way that you live out your life for God daily is enough for him. That you can take your body to the altar, right? And a sacrifice that gives life instead of takes it away. But it also requires assurance of all of us that we encourage, that we lead, that we uplift, uh, that when one of us is crying, we all cry. When one of us is happy, we're all happy. We need to look out for each other. And that it's this identity, it's this way of corporate worship, what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays, that launches us into daily worship, this daily kind of sacrifice. And so I want to leave you with a commission, because in a second we'll stand and have a time for an invitation. And I want you to think about seeking renewal and transformation in your life. And if you're kind of waffling, if you're deciding to uh, pursue Christ, uh, dedicate your life in baptism, then we want to honor that, and we, know we want to walk through that commitment with you. But also, if you've been a Christian your whole life, and this is a time of renewal in your heart, that's available as well. Just because you've made that sacrifice once doesn't mean that it's over. We're constantly sacrificing, we're constantly transforming our lives into the image of God, and that's always going to be the pursuit. I want to say that this transformation is possible for you, Because it was possible for me. And it's this story, it's this power of transformation that affects other people. In fact, through my story, my dad and his family are going to church weekly. They're committed. Through this story and the impacts of my life, my mom got baptized. Don't sit on the gospel. Don't sit on the love that Christ has for you Because God's calling you not to be conformers anymore, but transformers. That you'll go and be a disciple that makes disciples. Creating me a clean heart.